Section 35 of At the Point of the Bayonet, A Tale of the Maratha War, by G. A. Henty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Esther Ben Simonides. At the Point of the Bayonet, A Tale of the Maratha War. Chapter 17 An Escape, Part 1. Harry's arms were at once bound. He was placed on a horse and, escorted by ten natives, was taken out of the town, and, after a ride of three hours, arrived at the foot of a strong hill-fort, perched on a lofty rock. Here the party dismounted. Halfway up the hill they passed through a gate in the lower wall, and then mounted to the fort, where the officer in command received them, and, on reading an order from the Rajah, conducted the prisoner into a room at the summit of the highest tower. His arms were then unbound, and the governor and soldiers left the room, locking and barring the door behind them. On the way, Harry had thought over his position. It did not seem to him desperate, if only Holkar had failed to capture Delhi. And, even if he did so, there was still some hope. He had no doubt that the Rajah was waiting to see how matters went. If Holkar captured the city, he would probably send him in to him, as a pledge of his good will. but he might still hesitate, until he saw the issue of the battle that was likely to be fought outside the walls when the English army arrived there. He had hitherto affected friendship with the English, and had offered no objection whatever to the small force being stationed near his town. But, doubtless, the news of the disaster to Colonel Munson's force had shaken him, and convinced him that the English were not invincible, and that Holkar's immense army would inflict a decisive defeat upon them, in which case those who had shown any friendly feeling toward the English would be made to suffer for it by devastation of their lands and the loss of their jagir, if not of their lives. Harry felt, therefore, that the success of the attack on Delhi would probably be as disastrous to himself as to all the defenders of the city. His first impulse was to look out of the loopholes of the tower. On the one side, as he had noticed, the rock fell sheer away from the foot of the wall, to a depth of two or three hundred feet. On the other side, he looked down into a courtyard, sixty feet below him. This was surrounded by high and very strong walls, bristling with cannon, and with strong circular bastions at each corner. Immediately below him was the flat roof of the house occupied by the Rajah, when staying at the fort, and round the yard were low buildings, doubtless containing provisions and munitions of war, and some of them allotted to the picked corps who did duty there, the huts for the rest of the garrison being lower down the hill, near the second wall. In one corner of the room was a door. On trying it, he found it to be unfastened, and, opening it, he walked out. There was a flight of narrow stone steps, in what was evidently a projecting turret. Ascending these, he found themselves on a flat roof, on the top of the tower. He spent half an hour here, examining carefully the features of the ground and the defences of the fort. The place, though strong, did not approach, in this respect, many of the hill forts that he had seen in the Deccan, and he concluded that a British force of moderate strength could easily effect its capture, though, if stoutly head, it could defy native attack. He then returned to the room below. Half an hour later, some armed natives entered. One of them carried a large bundle of straw, which he threw down in one corner. Another bore a dish of rice, and a third a skin of water. They had evidently been told not to address him, for, as soon as they had placed their burdens on the ground, they retired without any remark. "'This is bad,' Harry said to himself, when they had left. "'I would just as lief sleep on straw as on a bed, but, if I had had some blankets, I might have mined myself a rope, though I don't think it would have reached the roof of the house below, much less to the courtyard, so that idea must be given up.' I have heard of fellows working their way through the floors of their cells, but they have taken away my knife, and there is not a scrap of furniture from which I could get some iron to manufacture a tool. 
There's no concealing a knife when they bring my food, for it is sure to be as it is today, rice or some other grain, boiled, and not even a spoon to eat it with. The door seems the only possible way, though. At present, I cannot see where the possibility comes in. It is of solid wood and strong enough to cage a tiger. Still, if I am to get out, I fancy that it must be through the door. A closer examination of it did not increase his hopes. Even when he pushed his hardest against it, it did not yield in the slightest degree. He sat down on the straw and turned over every possible idea in his mind. No scheme of getting out of the difficulty presented itself. The only chance that I can see is that, instead of four fellows coming up with the man who brings my food, there may be only two. Taking them by surprise and snatching a weapon from them, I might manage three of them, but I could not even hope to silence five before they gave the alarm. I hope that a duel got away safely. I think that if he did, he was likely, when he had once taken off pursuit, to come back and try to find out what had become of me. His face could not have been particularly noticed, for I expect the troopers were attacked as soon as I entered that scoundrel's house, and if he took off his uniform and went in a native dress, there would be little chance of his being recognized. When he finds out where I have been taken, he will no doubt go back to Delhi and report, but with Holkar within two miles, they have too much on their hands to think of sending to demand my release. If Holkar fails to take the place, and retires as Lake approaches, there will no doubt be a hot pursuit, and certainly they could not send two or three hundred men here. Less than that would be of no good, whatever. The Raja has committed himself by the murder of my troopers, and as he cannot hope for forgiveness, he would either fly to Ude, or else move in here with his force, with which he would think himself safe from anything short of an army. It is certain that, with such important work on hand, no man can be spared for a rescue expedition. No, there is not a shadow of chance unless Holkar is defeated. Having settled this matter in his mind, and decided that no amount of thinking would enable him to see a way of escaping, Harry dismissed the subject from his thoughts, ate his rice, and lay down as soon as it became dark, having had but little rest for the past week. Two days passed. As he was sitting on the platform over his cell, he heard a distant boom, and knew that Holkar was besieging Delhi. The next day, to his satisfaction, the sound of cannonading was again distinct. At any rate, he said to himself, Holkar has not carried the place by a sudden rush. There is a regularity about the fire that shows that it is deliberate. No doubt they are breaching one of the walls. Going to the other side of the platform, he saw that a good many of the Raja's followers were standing on the wall, listening to the firing. The wall itself was some thirty-five feet below the spot where he was standing. Neither loophole of his cell commanded a view of it, so that a prisoner could hold no conversation with the guard below. Presently another man came up onto the walls and approached the group there. He was, like the others, dressed in a small white turban, a short jacket made of unbleached hemp, underneath which was a loose tunic, bound at the waist with a sash and coming down to the knees. He carried a spear and matchlock, and across his shoulder a small shield was slung. The others did not turn round, and, when a few yards from them, he looked up at Harry, and the latter saw, to his delight, that he was Abdul. Harry dared not make any gesture that might be noticed, but he nodded his head slightly and walked to the other side of the platform, where he remained for a short time and then returned. Abdul looked again in his direction, but continued to talk with the others as to the attack upon the town, and agreed with them that Holkar would make short work of its defenders. Presently the whole party descended to the courtyard together. Some of them went down to the lower wall, or to talk to their comrades there, but whether Abdul accompanied them or was still in the fort, Harry could not make out. He did not, indeed, remain long on the platform, but, after looking towards Delhi for some time, he went down to his room. It was evident that Abdul had enlisted in the Raja's service, and had, no doubt, been engaged by the governor of the fort. The Raja would be uneasy in his mind, 
and would assuredly take on any men that presented themselves in order to strengthen himself if holkar failed to take the town and also to gain the latter's approbation by joining him with as large a force as possible probably abdul had only enlisted on the previous day and would of course need time to acquaint himself with the fortifications the position of the guards and the manner in which he could best communicate with him harry's meals were brought out twice a day at seven o'clock in the morning and at nightfall hitherto he had been quiet and patient as there was nothing to be done but to await the course of events now that he knew abdul was there and would certainly endeavour to open communications with him it was difficult for him to keep quiet and he passed hours in pacing round and round his room occasionally he went up to the roof but he could see no signs of abdul and therefore remained but a short time on the lookout as were he to keep on watching the courtyard it might attract notice and the idea might occur to someone that he was expecting some signal to be made to him three days passed without a sign and then when the guard came in with his ration harry saw that abdul was one of the number as he glanced at him abdul who was standing a little way behind the others shook his head and retired with them harry felt a momentary disappointment but saw at once that nothing could be attempted in broad daylight and that it was at night only that there was a possibility of success he thought that abdul had only come up in order to see the nature of the fastenings of the doors and the general position he was not with the party who came up in the evening but in the centre of his rice harry found a small piece of paper rolled into a ball there was not however light enough to enable him to read it but he lay awake half the night and at the first gleam of daylight went up onto the platform and seating himself so that he was not visible from below waited till he could see to read the letter it was of course in marathi and so badly written that he had difficulty in deciphering it he finally however made it out tomorrow evening when i come up we will attack the others if all goes well if not we'll try the next evening so intent was he in deciphering the writing that he had hardly noticed the outburst of heavy firing in the distance he feared feared the enemy had captured delhi on the previous day as he had heard no firing but now the roar of cannon was very heavy and he had no doubt that holkar was trying to take the town by assault in less than half an hour the sound ceased suddenly they have either taken the town or been beaten off decisively he said to himself in the afternoon he saw a party of horsemen approaching followed by some palanquins that looks hopeful he said to himself a messenger has probably brought the rajah news that the assault has failed and he is bringing his zenana here for safety until he hears the issue of the battle which will probably take place in a day or two i wonder whether this will upset abdul's plans the rajah's return was greeted by the discharge of matchlocks presently however this was succeeded by cries of rage and a clamour of voices holkar has been thrashed now it is a toss-up whether the rajah will in his anger send up and have me brought down and executed i think the chances are in my favour the fellow is evidently crafty or he would not have persuaded octroloni that he was friendly toward us and i think that he will hold me as a sort of hostage so that if holkar is defeated he may make favourable terms for himself by offering to surrender me it was not until an hour later that harry carried a party ascending the stairs when the door opened he saw that two of the men carried torches abdul who was in the rear closed the door behind him and then said now sahib and struck down the men in front of him with his toolbar harry had risen to his feet as he heard the men coming and had braced himself up for a spring when abdul gave the word with a blow straight from the shoulder he struck the man carrying the dish senseless to the floor tore the sword from his sash warded off a hasty blow delivered by one torchbearer who was too much astonished at the sudden attack to act with decision and cut him down while at the same moment abdul almost severed the neck of the other thanks abdul harry said grasping his follower's hand 
You have saved my life. Not yet, Sahib. Our work has but begun. There are other dangers to be met. However, the arrival of the Rajah has been fortunate. The news he has brought has... But first, let me finish the man you knocked down. There is no occasion for that. Tear his sash into strips, and bind his hands and feet, and gag him with his own turban. Now, what is our next step? I have a rope round my body, Sahib, to lower ourselves onto the ramparts. I am wearing an extra suit of clothes, so that you can get up as one of the garrison. I think we have plenty of time, for it is not likely that these men will be missed. Everyone is too excited by the news that Okar is fated to take Delhi, to notice whether we return or not. He took off the outer garment that he had brought with him, while Harry removed his uniform and attired himself in it, and, placing the turban of one of the soldiers on his head, possessed himself of a shield, spear, and dagger, and then said, "'What next, Abdul?' "'We will put out these torches, Sahib.' These were still burning on the floor. "'The light might be noticed from below, and they might wonder why we stayed here so long.' "'Are there any guards on the walls?' "'No, Sahib. They have them on the lower wall, but not here.' The torches were extinguished, and they went up to the platform above. They fastened one end of the rope to the battlement, having first tied knots at short intervals. "'I will go down first onto the wall, Sahib, and if by chance any man may have come up from below, which is not likely, I can hide.' And he at once commenced to lower himself down. In two or three minutes, Abdul was joined by Harry. The courtyard was dark, save that a few torches burned here and there. A great babble of talking was going on, and the windows of the Raja's house were lighted up. "'What are your plans, Abdul? I see that we shall be able to get through the gates here without fear of discovery. Is the gate through the other wall shut?' "'Yes, Sahib. It is always closed at sunset. Except for the road comes up to the gate, there is only one place where the rock projects at the foot of the wall, and there is a possibility of climbing down. That was where I had intended we should cross the wall. The height is but twenty feet there, and I have another rope of that length. There are no sentries placed except over the gate.' It is quite possible that, even there, there is none to-night. There is no order among these fellows, as there is among the company's troops. And, as there is no enemy near, they think that such a watch is unnecessary. And, if any have been sent here, they are pretty sure to have gone to the huts, to talk over the news from Delhi. The matter should be easy enough. We may as well start at once. These fellows will quiet down presently, and will then be more likely to hear any noise we may make. Looking about, they went down the stairs, leading to the courtyard, and walked carelessly across, taking care to avoid mingling with the excited groups, and at the same time keeping as far from the torches burning in the courtyard as possible. They passed through the gate, which was standing open without a guard, and followed the zigzag road, with towers placed at its corners, each mounting two guns so as to sweep the approach. There were two high walls on either hand, loopholed for musketry, and Abdul said that there was a platform, wide enough for two men to pass, along the whole length of it. The road terminated in a heavy gate, some forty yards above that through the outer wall. A bastion covered it, so that, were the lower gate carried, an enemy would not be able to bring guns to bear against it. This gate stood open, and, passing through it and behind the bastion, they came at once upon the low, stone-built huts where the majority of the garrison lived in time of peace. Several torches were burning here, and round each of these were groups of men, talking excitedly. Leaving Harry behind one of the huts, Abdul strolled up for a few minutes to listen to the conversation, and then rejoined his master. "'What are they saying, Abdul?' "'They are saying, sir, that it was wrong of Holkar to attack the city before he had defeated the English. It has cost many lives. But when the English are defeated, he will be able, without doubt, to capture the city, 
which would probably open its gates to him, seeing that no assistance could come to them. No one doubts, then, that Hokar will defeat us? Not in the least, Abdur replied. They say that he has two hundred cannon. These will mow down the English. Then the cavalry will charge, and there will be an end of the matter. They seem to have forgotten all about La Soiree, Harry said. But we had better be going. Where is the way up to the wall? Close by, Sahib. They ascended the steps. As far as could be seen, the wall was entirely deserted, and they made their way cautiously until close to the gate. Harry then stopped, and Abdul went on with noiseless tread. He soon returned. It is as I thought. No sentries are yet posted. But that tower of the gate, Abdul, is a great deal too high for us to descend by that rope you have got. Yes, Sahib. We will go out by an entrance onto a bastion flanking the gate. The rope will be long enough there, or at any rate, there will be but a very short drop. They entered the tower through the door communicating with the wall. Abdul led the way. Keep close to me, Sahib. I went down there this morning, and can find my way in the dark. I did not think that there was much chance of our coming this way, but it was better to find out all about it. Moving slowly and cautiously, they came to a flight of steps. They descended some twenty feet, and found themselves at an open portal, leading on to the flanking bastion. End of section 35 Recording by Esther Ben-Simonides